0: Welcome to Club Management. I'm your host, DJ Shannon, and on this show, we talk to artists, DJs, and industry professionals on how they're changing their community through music. You can listen to the show on any platform, like SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. Just type Club Management. And this is episode 52, which just so happens to be recorded for my iPhone. <laughs> I have been plagued with technical difficulties left and right this week. But still, I rise. So happy Club Management Thursday. And happy Black History Month to all my friends and family across the diaspora. I mean, it's just been so lovely to see a wealth of Black joy flooding throughout my timeline. And I just feel so happy and energized. I'm really looking forward to this month. Uh, And gig-wise, I've got some really big ones coming up. What better way to celebrate Black History Month than opening up for one of the queens of house music, te That's going to be so heavy. Um, it's going down at House of Yes on February 12th. So if you can please come out and join. I've also got some really great shows lined up one with Ekis later this month, and then the legendary Dweller Festival uh, takes place from February 23rd to February 27th. If you have been listening to the Club Management Show, uh, episode 36 was a big one for us with Frankie DeCasa Hutchinson, who is one of the integral members of the Dweller Festival and movement. I mean, and she talked about all of it. Why it's so important to create a space for Black art and music and, you know, why Dweller is such an incredible way to celebrate the origins of house music, techno, uh, literature, all types of Black art forms that are just incredible. So please, if you can, go to Dweller Festival. I'll have the ticket info in my comment section so you can grab one for yourself. Now, for this week's episode, we head to LA for a chat with producer Bay Exploitation, or Bay Bay for short. The versatile producer uses her rich ancestry to explore sounds, creating music filled with eclectic blends of house, bass, R&B, and dancehall. I discovered Bay Bay through her incredible edits, and she can literally do it all—from transforming Mariah Carey classics into Jersey Club anthems or embedding her rich island background into songs like Rocco's U-N-E-N-O. But beyond music, Baby extends her passion for culture into her monthly party series, The Hood Rave, a space for Black folks to show up and show out exactly how they are and who they are. We talked about her Jamaican roots, her rich Negress world community dedicated to uplifting Black femmes, women, and gender non-conforming artists, And how she uses music to explore her mental health and identity. I have to tell you that your boiler room system mix was probably my favorite mix from last year. And I mean, yeah, it just it really took me back to the days of sneaking into bashments off Flashbush, you know, like watching my dad's Paza Paza videos, like it just really hit home for me and on top of that there were a bunch of classics in there from tony curtis i mean mad cobra you name it like yeah. it, it was a it was a vibe
1: <laughs> for sure. thank you that was so fun i felt like i was definitely well so when i was asked to do a system mix i was kind of like what system because it was about local cultures like local South system cultures mm-hmm. l.a has it in pockets it's not the same as like the east coast where like there's a big west indian you know community mm-hmm. or like in the uk where it's also like a lot of west indian folks um, and like things like jungle and other system cultures so i'm like i was like trying to figure out what was like something that i would tap into and yeah i just thought because i was also researching my own background i've been looking into it i grew up listening to dance all through my dad but he's panamanian so he's not um jamaican but like we still listen to a lot of stuff um uh yeah so yeah we ended up i ended up looking into like just thinking about like old school jamaican mixes i was like what was the kind of stuff that i would listen to when i was young so that's why i looked into things like that like
0: yeah yeah, that's really beautiful. And I was looking on your Instagram that you had recently uh, discovered a photo of your great-great-grandfather.
1: Yeah, that, at that time um, I had, I was also in, I think I was in Jamaica or mm-hmm. coming back from Jamaica. That's why I made that mix too specifically about dance hall. But yeah, um, I, I did a lot of online research and archives. And then I, um, I found out that my family was from St. Elizabeth, mm-hmm. Jamaica um I don't know if you know about Jamaica are you Jamaican
0: um, no I mean I love Jamaican culture but I'm not actually Jamaican. <laughs> okay, okay okay
1: yeah so but that was cool like yeah I got to visit and then one of my relatives had a picture of my great-grandfather so that was cool and like I learned like I'm of Indian descent you know mixed descent a lot of Indian South Asian people were indentured in mm-hmm. Jamaica so
0: right yeah, we, um, my side, uh, my father's side of the family, rather, has been doing a lot of those 23andMe tests. So oh, yeah. we, uh, we're finding that a lot of our ancestors are coming from Nigeria and different parts of West Africa. So I always said it would be interesting to just go out there and just vibe with the people and just, you know, really yeah. be in, the, in my roots. <laughs> right.
1: I want to take that trip. I was meant to go to Ghana this past winter, but... Nice. I didn't know I needed a visa this is such a like western first world problem <laughs> very like American I don't know some of my naivete showed but I- I've traveled all over the world like to um, Sa- South America Central America the Caribbean the UK and Europe I've never needed a visa <laughs> so, like I had my plane ticket and everything but then I was like, oh, shit, well, I didn't look into what I needed to get into the country. So like a week before, I was like, oh, shit, I need a visa. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, anyways, that trip was postponed. But like, same thing. I, I, did the, I did my route stuff through Ancestry.com, but mm-hmm. it also traced it to Nigeria. So I was like really interested in going to West Africa
0: that's beautiful yeah i think everybody should go to the motherland at least once just to experience it i mean i've been to uh south africa uh cape town and johannesburg which was just like crazy to see the level of art the level of history and music that's coming out of that place i mean just it's out of this world right
1: that's amazing that's definitely an area i want to go to because i'm in love with calm music Ah, yeah. I'm struggling to pronounce it, but I think it's calm. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but something like that. Yeah, uh... I'm a piano too, but like, I was always really into calm because it's like so hard. Like, I love hard drum rhythms.
0: Uh, yes, and you can hear it. I hear all of your ancestry in your music from uh, GOM to dance hall to a little bit of Kuduro even. Yeah. Um, I got that feeling off of the uh, UNE, uh, UNEONO uh, edit that you just did recently, which was just so out of this world. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So my discovery with Bebe has been through your edits. What was it about the edit kind of format that really lends to your production style or you feel lends to your production style?
1: Um, yeah, I think it was a way for me to enter into production in the beginning when I didn't know what I was doing. So <laughs> I was like, I think when I first started, I was using audacity. I didn't, know what I, was, I didn't know what a doll was, you know, I was just like, okay, I can put these things on a timeline on top of each other. So it was like really simple to do, but like you get a lot I don't know, an edit can convey so much, and especially because, like, the music I grew up listening to um, was, like, 90s r and primarily, so, like, yeah, what I like doing is taking those songs and, like, quote-unquote, updating them or just making them something that you can listen to in the club, and sometimes mm-hmm. it's, like, educational, too, because, like, a lot of young people, I'm 36, so I'm a little older, so it's, like, I feel like a lot of young people don't know a lot of the tracks that i grew up with Um, I mean, not just you know the the well-known tracks but like i did an edit for example rose royce um uh love don't live here anymore mm. like a batida i i guess like the people i know they don't call it kuduro they call it batida mm. um but um like in, in portugal but um yeah 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 so updating tracks but like i'm like okay people don't know these tracks but these songs are so important so it's like how do you create mm. I guess like it's like creating an archive or like kind of lengthening the lifespan of an archive or something and then hopefully people go back to the originals.
0: Yeah, right? I love that. I love that idea of taking something that is old and just nostalgic and then kind of like introducing it to a new audience, which I think you do so well. Um I I think last year there was a point where I heard your Mariah Carey breakdown mix in like so many different DJs. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That was wild. It was such a good edit. Thank you. Yeah I wish I was
1: in New York at that time. It seemed like people were playing it a lot in New York.
0: (laughs) Yes yes. Eckies like um, Mm -hmm. all the Brooklyn DJs myself included so. Okay awesome. Yeah it really is. I
1: saw maybe it was Venus X or something. Jada had Jada played it too, Jada mm-hmm. Lorraine. But I was just like, oh. I was kinda like, Oh, cool, this is like a song of the summer, quote unquote. You know, <laughs> like,
0: everyone
1: wants to claim
0: that. <laughs> it's a fact. But yeah. Um, but let's not get it twisted. Your original work and your original production is incredible too. I was really, really, really into uh twenty twenty spiral and I feel okay. like that concept that you, were, you just mentioned about like r and mending those worlds of like house and club music together really just came out so perfectly on this project.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I was, again, like a lot of this is like, I'm learning as I'm sharing. <laughs> so the edits was like learning as I was sharing still. Um, but yeah, with that first EP that I made, Spiral, um, I was just yeah trying to tap into all the influences that I enjoyed for dance music. I feel like probably my one of my favorite dance songs is "Sending My Love." It's not really a dance song actually, but I don't know, it's an <laughs> R&B dancey song kind of. Yeah. Um, but it's you know down tempo. It's not so fast. Um, but by Jaune. so "Sending My Love" by Jané. Um and then also uh, "My Boo" by Ghost Town DJs. Yeah so like actually that's even more probably of influence so thinking about like that miami club music or or like that was an atlanta iteration iteration from uh so so death but like mm-hmm. but thinking about that type of rhythm um i love that rhythm so i was like tr- thinking about that kind of club music and then um just other kinds like think about breaks like in drum and bass, and then incorporating. Just I kind of went out all over with that EP. It starts <laughs> yeah. with like an R&B song and like a spiritual invocation. And then it goes into a, a song where I'm just playing with breaks. I call it a break play because I was just fucking around with breaks. <laughs> um, but a lot of it is literally me experimenting. And I think of experimenting as a form of like learning. I'm learning how to work with these materials, like these sounds. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, and creating things. It's yeah.
0: Be- yeah, it is beautiful. Um, I want to back up to something you had said in the beginning about how there's not really so many places in LA because I hear this time and time again from a lot of musicians and artists that are from the city who say we just don't have the venues right now to, you know, cater to the culture. Um yeah. so could you kind of like talk about what the scene is like currently in LA?
1: Yeah, LA just I feel like there's a long history, and I'm actually trying to study it. So I'm a PhD student um, at USC and studying media arts and practice. But um, some of my research, I think I'm going to start to try to trace the question of like why there aren't <laughs> good venues in LA. But I think, in part, it's just like different history. So I feel like sound system culture like, emerged in a big way in the UK. Um, and then, you know, the house like warehouse culture emerged in Chicago and also New York, but I feel like in the Midwest too. So I just but I just feel like LA. It did have I don't know why I think it's also like, the city itself is really like randomly organized. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a city of sprawl, so it's like things emerge. It's not as coordinated as another city and planned in a certain way. So I think things just happen and emerge in pockets. It's not ever, like, a citywide. I don't know. There's no citywide culture of club music. Also, like, because of Hollywood, like, that kind of drains a lot of the, I don't know, native energy and things like that. But then besides those things, I mean, I think there always were places Black people would go and dance. Um, and I'm trying to study those things. There was this place called um, Jewel's Catch One that is now, co- it's now called Catch One, it's owned by um, folks with money. <laughs> <laughs> White folks with money. But it used to be owned by a black queer woman um, for like 30 years, I think. It,
0: I feel like
1: it was either opened in the 70s or 80s. Wow. And
0: um,
1: I know like with her venue, like there was a lot of policing. So, like, police definitely come into the story of why LA doesn't have um, like a cohesive night culture around club music or alt mm. house or alternative music. Is I think because like those spaces were always heavily policed. Like, whenever Black people came together a large number, um, I feel like basically the police would um, label certain things as like. Um, gangs like you could have a gang injunction or something for for being a group of more than two people Mm -hmm. um so i think a lot of it had to do with like like a really extreme reaction to black people coming together in different periods of like rebellion like the watts riots Mm -hmm. or the 92 riots with uh, ronnie king um yeah i think these things and also anti-queerness because i know at jules catch one you could be arrested um She talked about people being arrested out in line for for being trans or, you know, at the time it was like, um, what do you call it? Um, There was a name for it, like cross-dressing, quote unquote, you know, like these, you know, transphobic terms. Right. But I feel like all these things kind of made it really difficult um, for those things to emerge, but I think it still has happened in pockets and I'm trying to like learn the history of those pockets because it's here, it's just, Mm. it's really underground.
0: Yeah. What are, I mean, what are the venues right now that, uh, folks tend to throw events at? Um,
1: okay. So there's like, so catch one is significant. Um, even though, so Jules doesn't own it anymore. It's more ran as a, as a, I feel like, I don't know. I don't want to shade. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) I don't think I'll get in trouble for this, but like, it's just ran as a business. I think the person who runs it knows that, Mm -hmm. um, that venue and um this other venue uh oh the venue i was thinking about was called los globos yeah so los globos is another big one los globos catch one and el Cid. i think they're all owned by mitch um mitch edelson um yeah i mean and then there's things like there's little bars like melody lounge which i played at yesterday and then um There's The Lash, which is downtown, which was, like, used to be a a spa, like, what do you call it, a bathhouse, I think, or something like that. So it's interesting. I think the walls are all tiled with like, weird, weird material. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like it's also, yeah, just not not enough, like, Black people. I don't know any Black people who own venues. Maybe there's some stuff in... um, Little things in Lamar Park, but right. it's not specifically club related or um, okay. club music related or house music related.
0: Luckily, you are doing so much in the community to bring everyone together, and I'm just really, really fascinated by the hood rave. And it seemed like the last event brought out a lot of people. Yeah, it did. <laughs> I was,
1: like, really surprised too, because. We were used to, pre-pandemic, we were doing a small party called Hood Rave. I don't even know if it constitutes a rave. Like It was, really just, <laughs> it was at, I mean, I guess anything could be a rave, but it was at a barbershop that my friend owned in my neighborhood. So my emphasis has always been doing events in my neighborhood. It's almost like reverse gentrification or like, you know, like taking back my own, you know, the spaces around that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. uh collectively so yeah we used to do this so, like it was small it was like under 100 people but it was always like really good energy one reason i threw it is because like there was always like people coming to la to through for some reason mm-hmm. and then they had nowhere to play so i was like all these amazing people um and i was like you have nowhere to play that's not fair and especially because like oftentimes oftentimes they were black fans or black women so i was like that is not fair like why are you not getting booked so um and I found that with myself too so I'm like it's something I know from experience um with like the lack of people really booking black women here in LA so Mm -hmm. so yeah I the first one I booked Kike Lomo who was here from from Berlin Mm -hmm. um and then the second one Tati Amiel who's from Montreal um who's Haitian um and yeah so that happened pre-pandemic and then after pandemic I was kind of waiting it out like people been throwing parties like last year I was waiting it out I was like I don't know when my moment like <laughs> or if I was gonna still throw parties or what was gonna happen yeah. but since it seemed like you know people were starting to throw raves again um underground um yeah uh, sorry I'm trying to remember um Mapamota, this person named Mapamota um, was throwing also a rave focus on POC. So I was like, I think it's time, like after months, like I think in October, I was like, okay, I think it's time to actually try to throw something and just see what happens. Ooh. And like had never thrown a, an event at a warehouse. And we were like, me and my friend Kita, who like is my collaborator on a lot of things. Ooh. Um we are just like, let's just do it, and then we invested, it costs money, like, yeah, I'm
0: gonna say, I don't know if people know, yeah, I mean, it it don't cost little pennies to put on no, you know what I mean, produce an event,
1: right, (laughs) oh, yeah, we were used to rental fees, like, 300, this was, like, over a thousand dollars, you know, like, a couple thousand, so it's, like, that was just like oh i can't believe we're doing this but at some point it just gained momentum we're just like we're doing this thing <laughs> we're riding this horse of this idea and hood rave like as a concept i didn't know how powerful that was like last year when we were doing it in the barbershop because it seemed like such a little thing <laughs> but then it's like oh people instantly understand what it's about like just in the name so it's like yeah. it's about our own community it's about the hood specifically it centers black people and it's a rave so it's like and it pushes maybe like the conventions of like what black people want to listen to like it's not all hip-hop and trap though Mm -hmm. like that isn't it but like people are playing jungle and we had jared genesis who was playing um garage and uh house and things like that and we also have black noise um as our main dj um as our like kind of like a headliner last time yeah, so it was oh. a big. We had like almost four hundred people.
0: So that wow.
1: it blew up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it looks so much fun. I was looking at all the pictures. Like, wow, this this looks insane. Like everyone looked like they yeah. were having such a good time.
1: Aww. Oh, it was. I had such good feedback. Like that that was the either the best party people have been to or like been to in a long time. Hmm. And I think it's because like with people curating it. Like we're black women um and queer people you know black queer people so I feel like it's a particular perspective that we have that like on the on our coast we don't have a lot of parties that center black queer people or black women Mm -hmm. it's usually led by no shade to them but like straight men or like um white folks Mm -hmm. or non-black folks no shade to them, but it's like, it's really important to have Black-led spaces, and I think that's really a big thing that's lacking in LA,
0: so. It's huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's something just so cathartic about being in a space with your people, you know, like, I experienced that time and time again, being out here, and like, even going to, because I used to live in China for five years, and there were a community of, you know, Black people coming from all kinds, all parts of the world, throwing parties out there, so even oh, wow. to have that community elsewhere in the world was just so supportive, you know, and I think people don't, some people don't understand just, like, how, how big that is. Right, it could,
1: like, really we're talking about mental health, earlier you mentioned it but it can really be everything in terms of supporting your mental health just knowing knowing that there are other people like you who want to be out late and listen to good music like it helps you not feel crazy or not feel like something's wrong with you so it's good establishing helping to establish community or helping people Creating an infrastructure so people could create community, that's really big for
0: me. Mm -hmm. And share a cultural exchange because like even with this China, uh, with the example with China, there was a lot of, I was making a lot of friends with like Black British people, African people, Mm. and even to realize that even though we do share the same skin color, we listen to different music, our cultures are different, our histories are drastically different. So even to connect on that kind of level at these different functions where we're literally exchanging culture with one another that's huge as well yeah definitely
1: yeah Yeah, i want it to be that kind of exchange as well especially with the types of djs who comes so Mm -hmm. the next one is going to be february 26th and we have um crystal mess will be our main dj
0: nice
1: um so i'm really excited about that but yeah just in a similar way thinking about her context like coming from paris what she sees as like good black you know good electronic music or or what is black electronic music it sounds particular so like putting those these DJ sets together feels like it's just fun like that level of curation too like a different perspective like black noise last last um at the last event Mm -hmm. who's from Detroit and is both like in the beat scene but also does produces electronic and house music. Mm-hmm. Like seeing his perspective was wild, and yeah, just yeah, uh, there's such good music, good
0: good DJs out here, and yeah. yeah, it almost like makes your head spin sometimes. Like when I'm looking or listening to different music, I'm like, how the fuck am I supposed to like, you know, organize all of this and make a right. set? Because there's so much good stuff out there. It's
1: overwhelming. I, I've been wanting to post on Twitter, like I. <laughs> there's too much good music or like I guess, what do I do like what am I supposed to do also like I feel like maybe a pressure to know it all also like that's what gets to me too that's why I have my computer here so I can look up in case you ask me the name of somebody because I'm like yeah I'm not like I'm not a music expert and sometimes I feel like it's wrong to say that because there's such an expectation but mm-hmm. I know deeply music I know deep like music in my soul I know how it how it works you know how how music works with especially blends like i know how music goes um right uh, how how to combine it i know how to create something new through combinations but it has to do with me paying attention and listening like a deep listening practice but it doesn't necessarily have to do with me being an expert in every genre i think bambi said something like that recently on twitter like yeah there's an expectation for us to be experts in in a particular genre, but some of us like work so eclectically and mm-hmm. it's more about Black music itself, but like, for me, so it's like
0: right.
1: that's more a universal thing than
0: right.
1: uh, yeah, a particular, I don't know, disciplined understanding of a genre.
0: Of course, I feel that way as well. Um, I love how you've really just been a wealth of support Uh, and knowledge for uh, the Black femme community and women in general with, and correct me if I'm pronouncing this wrong, but with your your Negress World or Negress World uh, platform? Yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah, it's called Negress. I mean, it can be pronounced either way, but um, Mm -hmm. at Negress World is the uh, Instagram. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been working with the term Negress since like 2000... 13. I actually came from the film world. Um, I was getting my MFA in film production at Columbia University. So I I, I went to Columbia. Like I was in New York for five years. I lived in Bed-Stuy. Really? (laughs) Yeah, and I commuted to Columbia because I was like, I needed to live in a Black neighborhood. (laughs) And I don't know. I didn't know if I was tough enough for Harlem. Something about Brooklyn. (laughs) I mean, Bed-Stuy was just like, it felt very communal. So but at the time, um, when I was going to graduate from my MFA, I just recognized, like, I just felt so, like, not looked after by faculty who were mostly white. Um, and so I found, like, a group of other Black filmmakers, Black women filmmakers and Black gender nonconforming filmmakers who um, wanted to, like, we, we did a, what do you call it, a screening right. of our work and at the time I was really into Kara Walker's work I don't know if you know
0: her mm-hmm. um,
1: she's a visual artist and also she does other types of art but she does these silhouettes um, kind of old school from the 1800s but black, like black silhouettes of, of of different things that happened in the past a lot of them are very like racial they're about racial violence but um, she does this thing kind of like ironically she'll be like she'll write an old, old, antiquated term, but she would be like, I am, I, uh, the Negress seeks your participation, or she would be like, the Negress does this, the Negress. So I was just like, I like that term. Like, I know it's steeped in racism, but like, <laughs> it's something like about Negress, because I like that it specifically speaks to the Black feminine experience. Right. And I feel like that's distinctive. It's not just the black experience you know like there's a way that the black experience it does it kind of erases mm-hmm. um or when you think about just blackness itself i i just wanted to look specifically at like what black femmes and black women go through so mm-hmm. i started a film collective back then and that's based in film but then it, as i pursued music um yeah I, I i created another platform the one that you saw so it's based in mm-hmm. more like I don't know, it's like a mix of different things, but a lot of it is just images of Black femmes that feel empowering to me. Mm. But also just feel like radical, like people attempting different things with their identity and like pushing mm. the bounds of gender or race or making fun of it. But I wanna turn it into a music label, that's one thing.
0: Wow. This year,
1: that's my plan.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's awesome and what kind of you'll just feature all kinds of music or what's that plan gonna look like that's a good question
1: i'm one thing i was thinking i know a lot of black women um vocalists or mm-hmm. black femme vocalists yeah. who are emerging and like haven't really produced music so i was like what if i did like what i'm thinking is for the first release is doing like kind of like a compilation but like i would produce the tracks and collaborate with these different vocalists mm. who are amazing like mm. and I miss old R&B and like I said like that's my root so I'm like it'd be cool to like just give a lot of people exposure like get their music out there
0: right.
1: but also just yeah I just feel like Black women have been more and more invisibilized in R&B like especially in mm. the mainstream like yeah, there are no black women. There's only Beyonce and Rihanna, you know, like or Normani. I mean, but like, there's not a lot of, you know, it was not the '90s and 2000s where we were just the main thing, you know.
0: Yeah, so. yeah, that's actually a really great observation. I've noticed that a lot of black men, even white men, have taken over the the genre in the last decade, which is sad to see, really. Right.
1: Yeah, or white women, a
0: lot of white. Women. Yeah. Now, yeah, and white women too. <laughs> Um, but yeah. I wanted to kind of uh, jump back to something you had mentioned about just being open with identity and transparent because this is something that I see you do all the time on social media. You're very transparent about how you've struggled with parts of your own identity um, and you've been very vocal about how music has been a very cathartic way in healing some of those wounds and some of that trauma. Um, there's one quote that I just thought was so beautiful that you said, and I think it was from an interview or some sort of movie that you were in, but you said something along the lines of, we don't want to see ourselves. So it's hard to extend compassion to someone else. And I, yeah. yeah, (laughs) And I thought that was so deep because, you know, sometimes even I have, um, how do I say this? Even I have struggles with just like, you know, childhood experience with things that have chopped that have happened in my childhood that I find coming up time and time again in my uh, adult life and I'm trying to unlearn some of those behaviors or microaggressions that I'm so used to shielding myself from and I just thought that was so beautiful that quote because it's yeah it's it just it's true
1: yeah thank you yeah that was my friend Reva one thing that's very core to everything I do is um empathy like learning to create empathy. What I'm learning more and more is that you in order to have that for someone else, um, in an authentic way, you really have to do that for yourself. Like you have to be able to see and acknowledge the things that are coming up for you. If not like that, it's performative, then we can just, you know, pretend we're being empaths and really nice, but really depriving ourselves from real care. So I think I was kind of speaking towards that. Um, I do think a lot about empathy when I'm like um, creating a mix. Usually it has to do with healing in some way, or there's some softness. Like usually, even though I love hard drums, like <laughs> I was talking about earlier, um, usually there's like a femme vocal that comes in or like, um, I'm trying to think. I do uh, Last night I played all six uh underneath the stars you know that edit
0: yeah yeah the mm-hmm. rec- edit that's a jungle
1: yeah. version so i was like playing that i was like it's so beautiful and it, like you feel so held by that song so it's like i try to do that so i try to bring that kind of energy um to both like the sets and like the spaces i create thinking about people being taken care of um yeah. but yeah it's
0: something I wrestle with because the world itself is so cold, you know. <laughs> very, very. The world, a you know. cold world. <laughs> and I think what, what, what fascinated me so much about music as a young, uh, you know, growing up was that it was a way for me to escape from some of mm-hmm. the insecurities that I, you know, grew up with or, you know, the lack of confidence that um, I grew up with. So to finally be in a space where I feel fully controlled with DJing and I know that this is a judgment-free place, or at least I don't think about being judged when I'm DJing or creating mixes. It kind of helped me to tap into the confidence I never really knew I had, you know? And that's what music just does for me and heals me in a way, you know?
1: Right, totally. Yeah, I feel Mm -hmm. that as well. Like, yeah, especially when I'm struggling with something Today, um, Earl Sweatshirt released a new project. I don't know if you've heard it, Mm -hmm. but it's really good. Then it's called "Sick," and Black Noise had worked on that, um, the production for that. And um, I was just like, "Wow, this person! Like, his dad is like a famous South African poet. Um, His mom's a scholar. But it's like the the way he's expressing himself." it's like really powerful and it's like really emotional and like personal mm-hmm. and I was just like oh wow I listened to the whole thing all the way through a couple of times and I was just like man I wish all music I was really thinking like I was really like oh, I hope hip-hop goes in this direction because sometimes I used to think <laughs> big in like hip-hop and I used to be one future drop like Dirty Soda too I was, like, obsessed with that shit, but it was so bad, like, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, spiritually speaking, so it was just, like, it was cool to hear Earl, because I was, like, oh, I hope it goes in this direction, because I feel held, and, like, I feel connected, and, like, that's also why sometimes I go more into, like, dance music, R&B, mm-hmm. and I go away from, like, hip-hop and stuff, you know, I want to be Right. Well, Listen to the hip hop, you know, the beats are great, but sometimes like the stuff that I have to ingest, it's like, oh, it's a lot. It right? <laughs> not, yeah, it feels
0: wrong. Like, <laughs> like, well, you know. yeah, Actually, this, it's funny that you mentioned that. I was just talking to a friend about that the other day, how when I started to feel comfortable enough to really dive in and start playing the music or the electronic music that I loved. Because originally when I first started getting booked, it was just for like hip hop shows and rap oh, shows. Man which was great. I was grateful for the experience, but deep you down, know, I I knew there were so many different types of music uh, that I wanted to play eventually. So now that I have the time, or well, now that I have the opportunities to play the music that I'm, you know, all, the, all kinds of music that I'm really into. Right. I'm grateful for that.
1: Yeah. It opens you up. I think that's what's great about doing something like hood rape too, is like helping to expose people to other genres, you know, um doing it in a way that's mindful of like okay what people do know but then bringing in uh something that might be challenging but like rhythmically interesting like making you want to dance anyway so <coughs> yeah I think it's really important like mm-hmm. having that exposure as black folks to something you know beyond um just hip-hop which I love and I grew yeah. up also you know so
0: yeah of course Um, There was also another quote that I thought was really, really eye opening. Um, And again, feel free if you don't want to talk about this, this is fine. But it went something along the lines of you were talking about uh, growing up and how you don't necessarily identify with the term Latinx anymore. And there's a lot of like boxing in with um, identities, boxing in again with DJs, music. And I I was interested to see or hear about, you know, why you felt that way.
1: I was thinking about it today. It's like I've I've went through like a really complex journey with my identity because my parents are Central American immigrants. My dad's from Panama. He's a Black Panamanian. And my mom's from El Salvador. Um, She's not Black. Um, But growing up, it's like they didn't really talk to us. At, about our racial identity and like it was a complicated thing for me because I was the oldest of my siblings and I was the I was black you know I'm black <laughs> so like, I came out the darkest skin of the three um and you know I'm more apparently black um my siblings are really racially ambiguous or more so my little brother doesn't necessarily believe in race <laughs> I think he's starting to but it's complicated <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was
1: just like being in that context and not having guidance. I looked to, I mean, I looked to music. This is something I was thinking about earlier. It's like I got really deep into reggaeton because um, my dad used to play El General when I was little. Like El General is like boom, boom, mommy, mommy, that song. Yeah. Uh, there's a bunch. Oh, of course but like uh so yeah like coming into college and like in from high school i was listening to a lot of reggaeton it was like burning cds for reggaeton um there's like <laughs> Cal- Calderon, I don't know you know. of course yeah okay making sure well you're from the east coast so you would know some people here would be like mm. but uh <laughs> um i would listen to evie queen a lot mm-hmm. um, also people who are non-black like we've seen in Yandel and, um there were a whole bunch of people but like I was obsessed but I think it was because I was like these are the people these are me like these are reflections of me you know these people I would look at a lot of Tango Calderon videos his videos were great because it's like I always featured like a really sexy black girl but like different like with the big afro with like you know natural dark skin thick not like conventionally skinny so I was like yeah like this is a representation of me so i felt really connected to that for a long time long time but i think that what was difficult um was i was in l.a so like Mm -hmm. not you know the local um latinx culture was more white white passing or like mestizo i guess it wasn't black latinx or afro latinx people and also this was like before that was a you know before on social media you know like where everyone's like now talking about afro latinx identity so i didn't have somewhere to go and be like feel affirmed i feel like i did that through music and it it, you know for a while that worked um or was help it was supportive to me for sure but then i don't know i I guess i just it was hard for me to identify with my latinx culture Mm. i don't know I need to think about why that is, but I think it has to do with breakdowns in my family too. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't close to my family back home or things like that. Cause like just things in the family. Um, but yeah, I think over time I've identified more with my black identity just because mm-hmm. I don't know. I just feel more perceived. I've lived the world as a black woman. So it's hard for I don't even use Afro Latinx really though. I mean, I speak Spanish fluently, um, and I lived in Panama for a year. Like, I have a lot of experience, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah I
1: just don't identify anymore because I don't know. I'm not trying to wash away. I like, think sometimes it becomes a way to wash your blackness or mm. not claim it or something. So it's also political
0: choice, I would say. <laughs> like, yeah. No, no, not, a, not at all. I mean, I totally get that. Um, and I think just going back to the idea of just using music as a catalyst to, to just, yeah, just like fuel all those feelings and all those emotions. I mean, it's been really, I know over the last year, it's been a great way for me to just come to terms with what's happening for Black people globally around the world, you know, from this pandemic ravaging the community to, you know, housing disruption you know food crisis you know yeah. um it's been a way for me to process all those feelings and how sometimes being a black p- person in america can just feel so heavy really yeah. heavy. you know yeah that's that's really real yeah yes, this is a fact um but on a lighter note here and the last question because i could talk to you all day this has been yeah. interesting. <laughs> um how was your installation at the hammer museum that looked really fun Oh, that was really cool. Um, So, yeah, I've been doing sound
1: installation work for the past uh, four years or so. Mm -hmm. Um, And and just doing, like, experimental soundscapes or sound pieces. So, yeah, I collaborated with these artists, um, this collective. They're called Las Nietas de Nono. So actually, this is kind of like full circle with my own afro Latinx next identity. <laughs> you know, I'm collaborating with these um, Black femmes from Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. And um, the piece was about um, their cousins who had been incarcerated. Um, and thinking about what it means to be like away from healing space and like need sanctuary. Um, thinking of the kinds of sounds you might um, that might feel nostalgic or, or safe to you, like in a prison context, thinking about what it would feel like to be free. Like there was a lot of like really interesting ideas um, that enter into that project. And it was like, it was a sculpture, so a physical installation with sculpture. And, um, and then I did the sound design for that in collaboration with them. And that was a part of this exhibit at the Hammer Museum called No Humans Involved.
0: Mm. um
1: and it's based on this essay by sylvia winter about um about about um basically like violence against like the way that black people aren't seen as human Mm. um there used to be this category in la that police would identify certain people who were they had killed um and they would it was nhi no humans involved and they would use this acronym um when they were like when the person the victim had been like homeless and like a black homeless person um or a black poor person so like yeah the whole exhibit was about was supposed to basically focused around that idea of what is human, what isn't. Right. So that piece like was really cool to work on and I really hope to do more. Like I think that it's just a cool outlet for me taking some of my experience you know from making edits to um you know now I use Ableton and (laughs) I have more production experience but using this um this knowledge that I have built over time to now just experiment with what sound is and take everything apart um that's been really cool so I really hope to like do more things with different different museums or contexts I mean I'd rather I'm much more someone who privileges like local communal space or like creating Mm. inventing a space out of nowhere like taking Mm. over a barbershop so it's like if if I could reproduce those things or just create that type of space in my neighborhood or be a part of those more local places um Mm. I don't know Mm. institutions but yeah I I hope to do more it's like really it's been really fun like I'm excited because I might be doing one this summer for another artist. So, I'm,
0: yeah, I'm really excited about that. I'm excited about that, too. And I hope that, like, maybe one day you could even open up a club or something in the community. That's
1: my dream. I don't know if you saw my tweet.
0: <laughs> no, no, I didn't see
1: it. okay, yeah. It was, like, my dream so and <laughs> stuff. <laughs> I honestly feel like, I felt like I feel like I'm a jewels in training, the person who I told you who owned, owned that queer club for 30 years. I'm like I feel like I'm just working my way towards that slowly. But what I would love to do is have a space, it doesn't have to be a club, but like a communal space that can do different types of like programming in the day, slash like be a school in different like arts school, basically. To like have People I know teach things like DJing or production or mm-hmm. visual art. Could be so many things, and then at night have raves. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'd like to have. So I not love- necessarily an official club, but
0: I don't know. Maybe it would
1: become official,
0: but yeah. Yeah, nice multifunctional play or space. You know, for the community. So I, I really, I, I pray for that for you as well. Um, and I thank you so much for talking to me. This has been so nice. Like I really. Thank you sometimes we get so plugged in to be on the screen that we forget that there's people out there, humans right. that we actually talk to, you know? <laughs> <laughs> We're coming out of the interview between me and Bebe. What a treat. And I really loved how open we got on this conversation about um, identity and about race, you know, being black in America. That experience is so 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 multifaceted it can be very complicated at times um and I'm sure my allies listening to this podcast you know you know you know that what it's like for us at times in this country so to have music and art as a form a healthy way of dealing with these hardships and dealing with these difficult experiences. I mean, I can't tell you how blessed I am because my podcast, my DJ has been a vehicle in a real like tangible way to show myself that I defy all those stereotypes, those false narratives that are often painted about black people, you know? Um, and I'm lucky. I come from a very supportive family who loves me, who have have you know praised and showered me with love and acceptance but at times the outside world doesn't necessarily see you how your family does right Um, and it's it could be a hard pill to swallow but I feel so blessed to have my community and my tribe um, and my art to really ground me in who I am during those times so thank you so much to everybody listening to today's shows. Uh, And thank you to so many people on Patreon for (laughs) donating. My head is just swirling on there every time I get a notification that someone's joined. Thank you so much. If you'd like to join the Patreon community, uh, we are at patreon.com slash clubmanagement1. You'll get access to early episodes and bonus content from me as well. So please join us over there. Peace, love, God bless. Until next time.